Elizabeth was living a very bitter life. Socially constructed norms had led to a lot of pain and a lot of abuse in her life. Her father was a, was a black Cuban and her mother was a white German. And even in a, a town in the, like Cleveland in the 1950s, there was still a lot of racism in that town. And so one evening as her mother and father were walking arm in arm uh, on a date uh, down, the, uh, down a sidewalk, a man came up to Elizabeth and, and mocked her for, for being with a black man. He used the N-word, and, and her father just instinctively reared back and punched him in the face, broke his jaw, and also broke his neck. What resulted from that was him uh, going into jail for 10 years, and it it sent the family into a really uh, dire financial situation. Elizabeth's mother did all that she could to keep the family together. She worked odd jobs and and worked hard just to put food on the But Elizabeth began, even in her early teenage years, to be groomed by a local pimp. And before she could get a driver's license, she was pregnant. Now, that baby was going to get in the way of money that he wanted to make. And so he, in really crude and violent and awful ways, uh, tried to abort this baby. But baby Ron was born into the world a premium at four pounds. He had uh, underdeveloped lungs. He had no pancreas. He was a very sickly child. He had health problems for years, and he even uh, developed learning disabilities. But after Ron's birth, the pimp moved Elizabeth away from her family, moved her away from Cleveland, moved her off to New York City. Now, she was a very beautiful woman. However, all that men could see was that. She, she was someone that uh, from her teen years and into her 20s, she was just used up and kicked aside by the men in her life. She experienced every form of abuse imaginable. She was living this bitter life. She was, she was, a, uh, it was, she was a mixed race young lady living in, in an impoverished life in an American urban area. She had all these social concepts that young mouth to feed and we all know throughout history you know men have uh have been maybe physically advantaged to women and that's part of why uh, the abuse rates for women are always much higher than they are for men but also uh, our societies every society throughout history uh, throughout the history of the world have developed these constructs if you will that that hold women down in different ways There's only certain jobs that women could have at certain periods of time and in certain societies. It limited the money that they could make. Ladies, this is a pretty amazing thing to think of, but but women have only been able to vote in our country for just over 100 years. Isn't that wild to think about? That that 100 years ago, women were still debating if if, uh, women should vote in our country. So social constructs, if you will, or social norms, they have made women more vulnerable than men. These Social constructs have robbed the dignity of women. And I think we need to be honest in, that even in the church, it's filtered into the church, and we've had centuries of abuse of women even in the church. Many times men have cited Ephesians 5 and have been quick to call their wives to submit, but have been slow to sacrificially love their wives, as Ephesians, calls, Ephesians 5 calls husbands to do. As we look at the woman at the well today, I pray that you see that Jesus offers something better than any social construction can offer you. Jesus offers something better. Ladies, Jesus views you differently than the world views you. That was true from the woman at the well, and that was true today. No matter what social norms are around you, Jesus views you better and differently than the world views you. He offers you living water. He offers you something 
better than anything in this world can offer you. He offers something that is lasting, something that is eternal, something that is more satisfying than anything that is in this world. Jesus breaks social norms in order to bring living water to social outcasts. That's what John 4 is all about. If you have your Bible, turn to John 4, and I'm going to just maybe summarize these first six verses, and then we'll dive in at verse 7. But I want to start by asking the question, do you believe that Jesus is living water? As you turn to John 4, what's going on here is that uh, it's this great story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. And the first six verses kind of set up the story. And essentially what's going on here is Jesus and his crew are moving from the south in Judea and they're moving to the north in Galilee, but they have to go through Samaria. Now, if you look at a map, it's obvious you would just cut straight through Samaria to get to Galilee. But that wasn't the typical way people traveled from Judea to Samaria. And so for the original audience reading this, this kind of would have been a strange story. Because typically what people did is they went around Samaria. And the reason why they went around Samaria is there were all these barriers between the Jews and the Samaritans. In, in short, they didn't like each other. They, they both had these long lists of grievances against each other, these, these reasons why that they didn't like each other. And so, frankly, it was kind of unsafe for a group of Jewish men to travel through Samaria up to Galilee. This sounds weird to some of us today, but the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they viewed them as half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, uh, half-embracing the pagan cultures. They also didn't like them because they didn't think that they faithfully worship God according to the scriptures. In short, the Jews view the Samaritans as unclean. But Jesus is in the business of washing, not condemning the unclean. You see, his heart, as we're going to see, is to break down these social barriers in order to save people. He sees the dignity and the worth of each individual. He doesn't look at this woman and think, she's just a Samaritan. He doesn't look at her and say, she's just a woman. He sees her in all her worth and in all her dignity, knowing everything that she's done wrong. Jesus goes through Samaria for us to hear the inclusive good news of the gospel. This good news of living water is inclusive, meaning that it's offered to everyone. There's not a barrier to anyone for this good news. So he is, he's the living water who washes you clean. And the question is, do you believe it? Let's pick up in, in verse uh, 7 where uh, what has happened here is Jesus has sent his disciples on into the city to get food. He's stopping to rest at this, at this well, and we hear that it's, the, it's, it's, it's probably around noon during the heat of the day. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw, you have nothing to draw water with, and, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. 
Friends, Jesus offers living water even to you. In this passage, I think we, te- we see two really glorious uh, and beautiful truths. The first one is, is that Jesus is the living water. And second, he offers it to all people. First, Jesus claims to be living water. In, in, in fact, his water is so alive that when you drink of it, you're never going to thirst again is how he explains it. It's living water that eternally satisfies. Water is about, obviously, preserving life. And if you've ever been just incredibly thirsty and you finally drink that cool water, you know it satisfies. It satisfies your body. And what he's talking about here is that this is, this is the type of water that's going to satisfy even your soul. It, it's this water that's going to preserve you. It's this water that's going to fulfill you. It's this water that's going to be there for eternity. And further, I'm the living water is what he says. I'm the one who's going to provide all of that. I'm this source of life for you. And it's not just any kind of life. It's living water for eternity, and so it's abundant life. He's saying that I, Jesus, I'm this source of abundant life forever. That's the first great truth here. But second, notice that he offers it to anyone and everyone. You see, Jesus offers this abundant life to all people. And notice, the Jews were not offering this abundant life to the Samaritans, were they? You see, the, the, the men in this woman's life, they were not offering her abundant life, but Jesus does. Jesus is different than the men in her life. Jesus is different than... It's inclusive in this way. The gospel uh, it invites anyone into it. You see, it doesn't matter who your parents are or who your parents were not. It doesn't matter the color of the skin or what nation you come from. It doesn't matter uh, if you are, are bad or unclean or how bad or unclean that you have been. Further, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. This gospel is inclusive. Amen. Ladies, we're in this series on how Jesus relates to women. And, and I pray that you see that Jesus is better than any socially constructed ethic out there. We're in this day of talking about how ethics and at its core of its being is just socially created. And of course, at some level it is, but people who advocate that many times deny the reality of God. But, but certainly, each society creates these norms that, that kind of dictate how we operate. And, and listen, there can be good and bad things that come from all of that. So, so, for example, if you think of it, I think there's really good things that have come from the different waves of feminism that have happened in, in the West and in our country. You see, without those waves of feminism, ladies, you wouldn't have the job opportunities that you have. You wouldn't be able to vote. You wouldn't have equal pay for equal work. Men could go on just abusing women without justifying that abuse. So many of those things have changed as a result of these waves of feminism. However, there's also been negative things that I think have come from those waves of feminism. One of them being just this culture of abortion, where, where you know we, we need to acknowledge that when a young lady becomes pregnant, that, that means her life is dramatically changed more than the man's life was, Right? Like she's carrying a burden. She's going to have consequences that are different than the man's. And we need to be sensitive to those realities. But also, just the reality of abortion, it's not the answer. Because I think what we've seen is that abortion has had such a harmful and destructive effect on women's souls. Also, I think there, in these waves of feminism, it's, it's blurred the lines between masculinity and femininity in a way that, that, that it kind of, we, we've lost, I think, maybe some of the, the beautiful things about femininity. I, I think there's been a, a coarsening of women in our society. I, I think that so many things in this, in this uh, desire to make men and women equal in dignity, which we should, we, we've 
we've lost the celebrating the distinctions. I know this is a super old man comment, okay? So if you're a high school student, just bear with me. But when I see ladies on TV and they're great actresses, and they're adamant to call themselves an actor and make everybody call an actor, I, I keep thinking, actresses are better than actors. Like, wh- why are you denying the great things about your femininity? Be an actress. That's a great thing. You can disagree with me on that. That's an old man rant. But there's these distinctions that I think that we have lost, and some of those distinctions I, I think are, are really beautiful, and I think there's a, a coarsening of femininity today. I also think there's really good things that the biblical church has done on these questions on the difference between, between men and women. For example, the Christian church has done such a great job of, of celebrating motherhood and, and raising children. I have a master's degree in counseling, and it was from what's called an integrated approach where we learn both the biblical forms of counseling as well as the secular forms of counseling. And, and as I've uh, evaluated both of those things and then taken them into the counseling office, maybe a young couple who's struggling, what I've seen is, is if I can take the things that I've learned from the Bible and help this couple with, it helps them way more than the other stuff that I've learned. I've seen that the Bible and these biblical truths help uh, women and help marriages, help people be more happy, and, and it helps marriages be more healthy. So I think great things have come from the church on stepping into these issues. However, Christians also have to admit that there's been real abuse of women in the church. There's also been silencing of women's voice in the church. I think there's been an emphasis on focusing on what women can't do in the church versus what women can do in the church. Ladies, all those debates are important, I think. Where you are on feminism or complementarianism, all that stuff, have those debates. I, I think they're very important. However, what I want you to see today is that Jesus offers you something better. He offers you abundant life, irregardless of all these debates that are going on around you, irregardless of where you are positionally on all these things. He is this source of eternal satisfaction. The, the world or some man in your life might denigrate you, but Jesus never does. Jesus chose a broken, unworthy, sinful woman to begin his public ministry. Isn't this marvelous? He, he chose this woman who was just filled with flaws, but she was worthy to Jesus. This woman that everyone else rejected, but he accepted. This woman that no one else, they didn't want anything to do with her. They wouldn't even go on a chore with her to fill the water, but Jesus offered her living water. Do the work of establishing your views on feminism and complementarianism. Those are not unimportant debates. However, more importantly, believe that Jesus offers you living water. The next thing I want you to see from verses 16 to 26 is that no matter how low you have sunk or how hard your heart has hardened, Jesus still offers living water. We start reading in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to him, I who speak to you am he. In the previous section, he explains the good news that he is living water. And now he begins to apply the good news that he is living water. He, he, he initially applies the good news in such a way that he addresses her shame. Now, hear me, we don't know all the details of, of why she uh, has, has had five husbands. But, but certainly it's true and no doubt that they had done wrong things to her. And also, it's certainly true that no doubt she had also done wrong things. However, none of that kept Jesus from loving her. Her past, and she has this checkered past. Listen, the lady's sort of a mess, right? She has this checkered past. She's struggling in these different ways, but none of that gets in the way of Jesus loving her. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick, and this woman was sick. This woman was hurting. She was unclean on all these different levels that society is on, on how they viewed her. She was marginalized. Again, she was coming at the heat of the day all by herself. She was coming there because no one wanted to be around her, and when she was around other people, most likely they mocked her and they were mean to her, okay? And so she comes at this time where she can just be alone. No one wants to be around her, but Jesus does. She carried the the burden of moral and cultural shame, but none of that shame kept Jesus from loving her. He loved her right where she was at. None of that got in the way of him approaching her. Jesus called her not to condemn her. He truthfully addresses her shame. He didn't wink at the past. He addresses it head on, but he does it so that he can get to the living water. He wants to give her living water, and the good news is that he addressed her in her shame, not to condemn her, but to give her living water. But what does she do? What does she do when he starts talking living water? She kind of diverts into this other uh, theological debate, doesn't she? We do that, right? Like when we're stepping into this theological conversation, and let's talk about the gospel. There's many times we, we don't want anything to do with that, and we, we veer off, and yeah, but what do you think about this and this? That's exactly what she's doing, right? She veers off into this, into this theological debate, this, this old Jewish versus Samaritan debate about proper worship. And, and what Jesus does something interesting here. First off, I think he's really clear that the Jews are right. Like on the merits of the argument, Jews are right on this one, okay? You need to be worshiping in Jerusalem. However, he uses that moment to, to go back to the gospel in a fresh way. Like, he uses that moment to get to the heart of worship, doesn't he? he? He doesn't spend a lot of time about temple and mountains and all this and that. He gets to the heart of worship, right? So he goes to the, the good news of the heart of worship. And the issue that he highlights is that ultimately, it's not about where someone worships. It's about who they worship and how they worship. He says, hey, if you are worshiping God from a pure and glad heart and you're worshiping him, that's what matters. He gets to the heart of worship. Now, hear me. That's good news. Let me tell you why that's good news. This is very hopeful good news. Like what she meant as a diversion to avoid a hard conversation, he brings it back around to the gospel, but he does it in a way that is hopeful and good news to her. And the reason is, is because no matter what rules she's living by, by the Samaritans or the Jewish rules, she is never going to measure up. She's lived this life where she is never going to be good enough to worship according to those The heart of worship. He gets right to the heart. And listen, she has these hints of something good going on in her heart, right? Like she is a mess. 
She's a mess. But at the same time, behind all that, she demonstrates this desire to follow the Lord, right? Like, for example, she understands this theological debate. Like, she's pondered the significance of it. Like, she's not one of these people that just never thinks about eternal things, never thinks about theological things. Like, she's pondered this thing. And also, she starts talking about the Messiah, right? Like, she has real convictions about the Messiah. Like, like she understands that the Messiah is ultimately her real hope. She knows uh, some things about him. She has real hope in him. She's longed for him to come, and she has this hole in her heart that, that she's never going to measure up, but she's hoping in the Messiah. Therefore, the good news of living water is powerfully refreshing to her. Have you ever felt like her? Have you ever felt like sort of a mess? Let me say it this way. Have you genuinely wanted to be faithful, to be righteous, to worship him in the right way, yet you wake up to a fifth husband? You ever been there? Or man, there's... There's this sea, there's this desire, but man, I just keep blowing it. I, 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 keep, I keep failing this standard. Have you ever felt unclean and full of shame and condemned? Have you ever had God pursue you? Yet like the woman at the well, you just wanted to change the subject. Friends, in that moment, he's wanting not to heap more condemnation on you. He's wanting to wash you. In that moment, he's not trying to get his pound of flesh for all the bad things you've ever done. He's trying to refresh your soul. In those low moments, when you're at the lowest moments, in those moments, he's the source of abundant life. Friends, sisters, if you're sort of a mess, Jesus promises to be your living water. Amen? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how, uh, how low you have sunk. He can bring you to the highest of highs. It doesn't matter how hard and dry your soul has become. Jesus can refresh and soften every single soul, no matter how hard it has gotten. Like Numbers 20, where Jesus causes water, where God causes water to gush from the rocks. He can do that to your heart. He can do that to your soul. He ends with this reference to the I am. No matter what you've done, Jesus still wants to be the great I am in your life, breaking down all barriers. Jesus breaks social norms in order to bring living water to social outcasts. That's what John 4 is all about. If you're a social outcast, we have good news for you today. You have a Jesus that looks past all of that and wants you to drink living water. He wants you to have abundant life, eternal abundant life, soul satisfaction that nothing in this world could satisfy like. It doesn't matter how low you have sunk or how hard your heart is hardened. Jesus still offers abundant life. Let's look at one more, uh, one more section here. Believe that his living water changes everything. Look, look at verse 27. Jesus came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Let's stop right there. They're confused at what's going on. Here are these mature, supposedly mature, godly men they're not willing to break down social norms in order to bring the gospel of the living water to social outcasts. They're not willing to do that. But Jesus is. You see, this has always been a problem with leaders in the church. Leaders in our church and in every church are not going to bat a thousand on these issues. And that's just a, that, that's not the leaders, elders, Andy and Mike, if you're in here, that's not an excuse, right? That's not an excuse. That, that, that's just a, a reality. We, we need to live by this higher standard. However, friends, if, if your hope is in a person, 
a mentor, a pastor, an elder, something like that, versus your hope in Jesus, you're going to be let down every time. This is this great example of these great godly men. They totally miss it here, okay? But Jesus doesn't. This is my favorite part, verses 28 and 29. So the woman left her water jar. Wow. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This woman has this amazing testimony where she's totally transformed. She is so filled with joy, she just drops the water jars and just runs into town. I'm task-oriented, okay? I read this and I think, you could have brought the water jar. Like, it, it saves you a chore. You don't have to go back. You can, you can do all of this and bring the water jars, okay? All right, is anybody here with me? Like, I'm, I'm all about efficiency. Like, just bring the water jars. You can still get there. You don't have to come back. It's a win-win for everybody. Why does she leave the water jars? She is so filled with joy that that thing's going to slow her down. She's got to get into town fast enough to tell everybody that the Christ is here. Now, let's get a little more specific about what she's saying. Skip down to verse 39, and we're going to see a repetition here. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What's her testimony? What's her gospel message? He told me all that I ever did. This woman, who was thought so poorly of, that had such an awful reputation in that town that no one would even go with her to fill her water jars. This woman becomes the first great evangelist of the New Testament. She's the one who, who tells these first people about Christ, the first great evangelist of the New Testament. And you know why? Because she tells them, notice, notice this is why she leaves her, her water jars. He told me all that I ever did. This thing is so wonderful that she's willing to tell anybody who will listen to her all her dirt in order to tell them how great Jesus is. Isn't that marvelous? And listen, her dirt, friend, is probably dirtier than your dirt. It was dirty back then. It's dirty today. She had dirt. And she's willing to, in a transparent way, open her life up to people, share it all because this thing is so good. And it's so good that she would drop her water jars and just run into town. That's how good it is. What a glorious picture of joy. Friends, do you have that joy? Do you have the joy of the living water that this woman had? It totally transformed everything. Her life is forever transformed. Do you have joy like the woman of the well? Has your life been totally transformed? If not, then the God of John 4 is calling you to follow his lead and drink that living water. Before you leave this room today, I challenge you to ponder these glorious gospel truths. As you're sitting here today, resolve to hope in him. Hope in him for the needs of today rather than your own abilities or anything else that this world provides. He is is the one who can cleanse your soul. He is the one who can make you right with him. Resolve to find your source of joy in him over anything else. He's better than anything else. That guy, that job, whatever it is, he is better than all of it. If you had all the money in the world, he would still be better than all of it. I guess what I'm saying is, is what jars do you need to leave behind? 
Are there things slowing you down in pursuing that? Are there things that are getting in the way of it? I, I think that's my favorite part of this story is that she drops those jars, leaves them behind. She could have filled those up. You know, she could have brought them into town, but, but she, she could have saved a trip. But this was so much better than anything else she had to do that day or any day after that. All of that was irrelevant now because she found the greatest thing that there is. None of that was relevant to this joy of being chosen by Christ. This one that was so unworthy to everybody else. She was worthy to Christ. She found the living water in him. She was unworthy in the eyes of everybody else, but worthy to Jesus. What is slowing you down in your race to follow him? What's getting in the way of your joy? What jars do you need to leave behind? Again, Jesus breaks social norms in order to bring the living water to social outcasts. He's calling you today to drink the living water. Elizabeth eventually made her way back to her baby. She was a broken, discarded woman, but she really wanted to be a good mother. She she possessed this real strength, this real courage. Elizabeth was committed to helping her family, and and like her mother before, she just worked any odd job she could find to make ends meet, and she was going to do whatever it took to take care of her family. Eventually, uh, Elizabeth met a man, was married, they had a daughter together, but that marriage, like all her other relationships with men, it just devolved into physical abuse, and, and even uh, in a wild story, it culminated in them literally shooting at each other, which is a good sign that it's time to separate at that point. Her son, Ron, also continued to struggle. He, he stuttered, and he was put in a class at school with other kids with learning disabilities. However, his fortune began to change when a when a, a volunteer came to the school, and she was a retired teacher, and, and she just had a heart for helping some of these kids with learning disabilities. She wanted to help them learn. A hotel, and there's a Bible in there, and it's from the Gideons. They, they give Bibles out to people, and so uh, her little approach to helping these little guys learn to read is she brought her Bible in, and they learned to read by uh, by reading the Bible, and so as they're learning these different words, she's telling them these glorious theological truths. Ron said he particularly loved Moses. Moses was a stutterer just like him, but, but God still used him. And in that, he began to, to, to start to believe that, you know what, God can use even somebody like me. He not only learned to read, but he learned these, these just glorious theological, spiritual truths. He learned the good news that God loved him. Ron was later then invited to a local Baptist church, and on hearing the gospel, this gospel called Repent and Believe, he placed his faith in Christ, and little Ron became a Christian. Now, even though his mother mocked him, he was committed to going to church each and every Sunday. He, he, he never missed, and he believed that his identity now was in Christ. He, he believed that he had a real future in Christ, and as other people began to go a different way, he began to place his hope in Christ and began to, to follow him. And as he grew in the Lord, he became passionate about learning the Bible, and he, he would go into the pastor's office and ask for a commentary on a Bible uh, study he was doing. I mean, I love this kid, so... Uh, and one of y'all do that, the answer is always yes. I always have commentaries to throw at high schoolers. He also began sharing his faith with, with his friends and his family. But again, Elizabeth refused to believe. About the same age his mother was when she had him, the pastor of the church asked Ron if he would preach on Sunday night. And he did such a great job that he continued to preach every Sunday night. But Elizabeth refused to go. But then ladies in the church would, would come up to her during the week and say, you've got to go hear Ron preach. I mean, it's amazing. Like, God's just given him this gift. You, know, you, you really need to go hear Ron preach. So finally, one night, 
without letting Ron know, Elizabeth slips in the back. And this is one of these historic African-American churches. And so Ron, the preacher, is sitting up on stage in a big chair, and he's watching out over the congregation as they sing, and he sees his mother slip in the back. And he's filled with this excitement, and then that excitement turns to nerves. Oh, my goodness, what, what is she going to do? What is she going to say? Is she here to make fun of me? Is she here to believe? Like, like, what's going on? Is God moving in her heart? And just to kind of steady his mind and his heart, he opens up his Bible, and he kind of looks over his sermon manuscript. You know what he was preaching that night? That night that his, his mother, who used to be a prostitute, was? God sovereignly had, had called him to preach from Joshua 2, the story of Rahab the prostitute. This is the sermon that he's preaching that night, and Ron preached his heart out. He preached his heart out with his mother sitting in the back. And the whole time he's praying that God would, would turn her heart, turn away from her sin, and, and turn to him. And during the sermon, he realized all these parallels between Rahab and his mother. Both had been prostitutes. Both did whatever it took to take care of their family. And God, in his good grace, chose both of them. He prayed that, God, would you, would you save my mother like you saved Rahab? That night, Ron gave an invitation. And, and he called the congregation to turn from their sin and turn to Christ. And he did what he did every Sunday night is he had everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. And he shared the gospel with them. And he led them into what was called the sinner's prayer, where they would uh, confess their sin to the Lord and profess their faith in Christ. And at the end of it, he asked the congregation with all their uh, eyes closed and their heads bowed. He said, raise your hand if you prayed that prayer for the first time. And you know where his eyes are. He's back in the back corner. And sure enough, Elizabeth raises her hand. And then as he does every as he would do every Sunday night, he asked people to, okay, in a, in a step of obedience, in a step of discipleship, come to the front and let us welcome you into the family of God. As tears rolled down Ron's and Elizabeth's faces, he welcomed her into the family of God. You see, men in societies have a long history of using up and spitting out poor women like the woman at the well, like Rahab and Elizabeth, but Jesus. Jesus has a longer history of breaking down those social norms in order to bring the gospel of the living water to social outcasts. If he can give living water to the woman at the well, and if he can give living water to Rahab and Elizabeth that night, then he can give it to you. Is he calling you today? Come drink the living water. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this glorious moment of this, this sweet woman at the well. And I have to admit, I look forward to meeting her in heaven someday. Lord, thank you for choosing her. Thank you for calling her out. Thank you for her faith. Lord, I pray that, um, that we would be a people that experience that same joy. Father God, if there's someone in this room today that has not drunk the living water, if there's someone in this room today that has not turned from their sin and turned to you, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that they wouldn't waste this moment. I pray that before they walk out of this room, that they would place their faith in you. Lord, as we do communion and begin to sing again, we're going to have elders and pastors in the back just to, just to pray and answer questions for people. Lord, if there is someone in this room who has not placed their faith in you, who's not drunk the living water, I pray that today would be the day they would. Lord, give us eyes to see and give us hearts of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.